Good morning, Desert Hills family. Happy Easter. Amen. For 2,000 years, as Christian congregations have gathered together, the pastor would stand in front of the congregation and he would say, the Lord is risen, and the congregation would respond. That was kind of weak. Let's try that again. He is risen indeed. Ready? The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. We're going to find ourselves in our text this morning, Matthew chapter 28 in verse 1. And we're going to look at a new sermon series here starting this week called Change Lives. Change Lives. And we're going to detail what happened to the disciples from Resurrection Day until Jesus ascended over the next several weeks. Just as we took the last few weeks and we looked up uh, the last week of Jesus Christ in the upper room all the way to his crucifixion. So we're going to take some time. I enjoy helping people to understand things they do not know and then being able to apply those truths as well. If you are a guest here at Desert Hills, we are honored to have you today with us. And we have a special gift for you. There's a little bag with a a booklet in there, some other information. And uh, we have a great campfire mug. I am positive that this is the mug that they used during the Last Supper. So I'm positive of that. This is one of the best mugs that I've ever had. In fact, it's so good of a mug. I had one like this in my office, and one of the other staff members took it. And I don't know who did it, but if I find it, uh, you may may be working at... uh, I don't know, fries or something like that. But uh, anyways, uh, we're so glad to have you here today. The message is entitled today, Confronting the Resurrection. Confronting the Resurrection. A young soldier and his commanding officer got on a train together one afternoon. The only available seats were across from a very attractive young lady who was traveling with her grandmother. As the four engaged in conversation, the soldier and the young lady kept eyeing one another, and it was obvious that they had a mutual attraction to one another. The train went through a tunnel, sending the train car into complete darkness. Immediately, you heard two sounds, the smooch of a kiss, followed by the whack of a slap across someone's face. Now, as the four came back into the light, the grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she slapped him for it. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but I wish her aim was better and that she'd have slapped him instead of me. The young girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. The soldier sat there in his seat smiling and he thought, man, I can't believe I got to kiss the girl of my dreams, slap my commanding officer and get away with them both. Now, everybody in that scenario believed what they wanted to believe. And I understand that for most things in life, we believe what we want to believe, including concerning the resurrection. But we need to understand that as Christians, the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. In fact, it's impossible to try to determine which is more important, his death or his resurrection. For one without the other could not be sufficient for the salvation of men. If Christ had remained in the grave, his death would be nothing more than that of any other martyr for the faith. He could have not given us nothing better than a philosophy if he uh, did not rise from the dead. Yet without the vicarious sacrifice of his death, his resurrection would have no saving power in and of itself. You see, the resurrection is not just important, 
It's of first importance because it, everything that we believe hinges upon it. Now, why does it matter that there's an empty tomb? For one, what can we believe about the Bible if not the resurrection? The writers of the New Testament were liars who intentionally manipulated the minds of would-be believers if the resurrection isn't true. And why should we believe them about anything? If they lied about the resurrection, the central evidence of the gospel, how can we trust anything that they wrote? What can we believe about the cross if there is no resurrection of the dead? Absolutely nothing. If Christ did not rise, it makes the idea of him atoning for our sins crazy. He is just a good man who got beat. Without the resurrection, we certainly cannot entertain the idea that Jesus died to show us God's love. What's love got to do with a father letting his son die? God lost his son and only ends up with people who still sin against him. If Jesus did not rise, God lost. And we lost. What hope do we have of anything if there is no resurrection? Is there light, life after death? Maybe. Who knows? The point is, we know nothing if there is no resurrection. Can we have a meaningful life? Maybe. Now, there are non-Christians who seem to be pretty happy and content. Can we have hope that we shall live on in eternity and happiness? Not if, there, not if we're rational if there is no resurrection of the dead. But brothers and sisters, Jesus did rise from the grave. And the resurrection is true, and he is alive. Now, why should it be shocking to believe? Why should it be so hard to believe that the God of the universe can raise his own son from the dead? Why should it be considered incredulous that God the Son who created human life himself can rise to life? Why should it be so hard to believe the biblical writers could mean what they say and the word of God could actually be true? When confronting the resurrection, we have three general responses to the empty tomb at Easter. We have to decide what we believe about death. What we believe about death. It's a fact. Not one of us, unless we're raptured out of this world, will escape death. Not one of us. It's like the old adage goes, uh, there's two things you can be sure of in life, death and and you get to pay them tomorrow if you haven't already. The IRS has been very generous to us this year. They gave us three extra days. Now, did you know that 55.3 million people die every year worldwide? Think about that, 55.3 million people. And every one of those people is important to someone. Did you know that 151,600 people die each day? 6,316 people die each hour, 105 people die each minute, and two people die every second. Think about that. Two people die every second, and their families are forever affected. Did you know that 38,680 people died in car crashes in 2020? Did you know that 11,055 people died by somebody getting behind the wheel while intoxicated in 2020? Did you know that 69,700 people died uh, in 2020 from opiate overdoses? 69,710 people, imagine that. 
Did you know that according to the National Cancer Institute, 1,735,000 people every year will be diagnosed with cancer and 609,000 of them will die? Did you know? None of us are a stranger to death. The dying words of the famous composer Ludwig von Beethoven were these. Friends applaud. The comedy is over. He meant that it seems like we were not made to die. With all the hopes and the dreams people have, with all the things we seemingly can accomplish in this world, and yet death comes like a mocking joke. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, when confronting the resurrection, we have to decide what we believe about life after death. Pew Research recently published a report that said, 26% of U.S. adults said they do not believe in a heaven or a hell. 26%. 73% of U.S. adults said they believe in heaven, while only 62% of adults said they believe in hell. I guess they want to believe in eternal bliss more than they want to believe in eternal damnation. And th think about this. 92% of Christians said they believe in heaven, while only 79% said they believe in hell. Now, is this life all there really is? Do we live and die and then cease to exist and then that's it? Paul, speaking to the fact of uh, life after death uh, and the resurrection, says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 17. He says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you are yet in your sins. And then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perish. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In, in other words, if there is no resurrection and this life is all there is, then we are of all men most miserable if this is all there is. When confronting the resurrection, we have to decide what we believe also about Jesus Christ. Now, as we revisit the empty tomb this Easter Sunday morning, what do we really believe about Jesus? Sincerely, who do we believe he was? What do we believe he did? Was he simply a good man? Was he simply a prophet? Was he an illusionist on par with David Copperfield? Was he an imposter, a false prophet maybe? During his ministry, after cleansing the temple the first time in John chapter 2, after he begins his ministry, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes had made a merchandise of the worship of God, and Jesus went and cleaned house. And, and here's his response and, uh, to the elders in John chapter 2. The answer, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things, cleansing the tables of the money changers? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple... And in three days, I will raise it up. What an incredible claim. Who did Jesus think he was? God? Very much so. Now, the only person who has power to give life is God. The only one who could create out of nothing, or the Latin phrase ex nihilio, is God. The only thing that could bring the dead back to life is God's power. And for Jesus to make such claims that he could destroy the temple, his body, or allow it to be destroyed, and, and then raise it up again would mean he was who he said he was. God. God. 
You see, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all of the claims of who he said he was were false. How could he save us? How could he ransom us? How could he redeem us from sin if he did not overcome his own death? It is evident that the empty tomb on Easter confronts us with what we believe about death, with what we believe about life after death, and with what we believe about Jesus himself. And as we come to the text this morning in Matthew chapter 28, we find several ladies, in fact, if you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you find out that there were at least five ladies that came to the tomb that Easter Sunday morning. And as we look at these, empty la these ladies who went to the empty tomb, we see what they were confronted with in the resurrection. And here's what Matthew says in verse 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Sunday, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, these women had gone to anoint the body of Jesus with spices because his body was hastily taken down from the cross and put in a borrowed tomb. These women had lingered at the cross. They had lingered at the grave, and now they were come to linger at the tomb. They had shown time and time again that they were wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus in spite of all the events that had taken place. The Bible goes on to say, as they were on the way, it says, and behold... There was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Now, as far as we can tell, the, the, Jesus was already gone from the tomb. The angel rolled back the stone not to let Jesus out, but to let others in so they could see the empty tomb. And notice what the scriptures say in verse four. It says, and for fear of him, the angel, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now these soldiers who guarded the tomb under the penalty of death observed the spectacle of an earthquake coupled with this angel who appeared like flashing light and white clothes. This angel rolled away the stone. Now Rome had thrown its power at the sinless son of God in having him crucified and now Rome's representatives, the soldiers were powerless in the angel's presence and they literally fainted at the sight of the messenger, the angel of God. So the soldiers confronted the resurrection and fainted and then we see the women who confronted the truth of the resurrection and they're given five commands and confronting the resurrection truth, which are commands we should take note of today, this Easter Sunday morning. The first command was, fear not. Fear not. The angel said unto the women, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. So these ladies came to anoint the body of Jesus with spices, only to discover he was not there. And the angel said, fear not. The angel appeared at the birth of Jesus, telling the shepherds, uh, uh, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It is interesting that an angel announced the birth of Jesus, his entrance into this world, and an angel also announced his victory over death in his resurrection over this world. The message specifically to these women was do not fear. Jesus' body has not been stolen. Jesus' body has not been desecrated. Jesus' body is not hanging on a pike at the entrance to Jerusalem. Fear not, because Jesus is risen. He is not in the tomb. He is gone. He is gone. 
Now, as we are confronted this Easter Sunday morning, we understand the ramification of the resurrection. Because Jesus resurrected, his power proves that there's life after death. Because Jesus has resurrected, we do not have to fear death. Because Jesus has resurrected, it proves that he truly was the resurrection and the life and is God. Now, every one of us have faced the pain of death. I've been in pastoral ministry for about 27 years, and in the time that I've been in pastoral ministry, I have buried probably now easily over 300 people. I'm from Michigan, that's my home. Uh, Every church that I've served in, in Florida, California, now here in Arizona, every church, those churches that I've been a part of, those people in those churches have been my family, many of whom are closer than even my immediate family. And at times I'm standing over the casket, I'm giving the the words over a, a, a person that has gone from this place into eternity. I'm trying to give comfort to a family. And to many of these people, they are my family. And I know that as these people suffer and they're dealing with death, death has a certain sting. But Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, wanted them to understand that the resurrection takes the sting out of death. And he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' death proved that he was a man, but his resurrection proved that he was God. Death isn't goodbye for the believer. It is see you later. And the angel's message is applicable for us today. Fear not. I don't know all of you this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing in your lives right now, but I can understand this for every one of us. We do not have to fear. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Time and time again throughout the Bible, in fact, 144 times, the Bible uses the phrase, fear not. And and the admonition is to you, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear anything and any evil. So we see the second command of the angel in confronting the resurrection was, come, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come, come. It's an important point of fact because there are many things that could have hindered these ladies from coming. I mean, imagine going to a graveyard while it's yet dark early in the morning. Doesn't sound like I'd want to go, but these ladies went. Imagine understanding that if they were to disturb the tomb and break the seal, they would be in direct defiance to Rome, and they themselves could be held responsible and also could die, but the ladies still went, and they got closer. They could have said, wait a minute, Rome forbids it. We can't get any closer. We could be sentenced to death if we do, but they still obeyed, and they came. Now, through the preaching of the message of the resurrection, the Lord invites us this Easter Sunday morning to come. Jesus, speaking during his ministry, said this in John, or Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, I know it's Sunday. Sunday's supposed to be the first day of the week, but I'm looking out at the crowd, and 
I know it's not just my sermon, but some of you look tired. The week just began. Some of you look tired. Some of you look burdened. Some of you look encumbered, like you're carrying something on your shoulders, or more importantly, on your soul. We all know what it's like to have a burden. We all know what it's like to have a load. And Jesus' words were this uh, to his disciples, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more work. I will give you difficulty. I will give you more problems. I will give you more challenges. No. I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. So I ask you this morning, have you come? Have you come? Have you participated in Jesus' invitation and found rest for your soul? You see, the message of the resurrection is Jesus came to the earth to live a perfect life, to culminate that life in dying for the sins of mankind, and three days later, raising from the dead to prove that he conquered death and sin and the grave. Have you received the message of the resurrection by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior and finding rest for your soul? Have you come to Jesus? We see the third command to the women from the angel was see, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see. See what? See that the tomb reminds us that our sin initially took Jesus to his death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but Jesus had no sin. Now, why did Jesus hang on a cross, die, and get put in a tomb? The Bible, 700 years before it all happened, Isaiah the prophet predicted this in Isaiah chapter 53. Here's what he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then here's the kicker here. And the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, when we look and see the Easter tomb, we're reminded of the terribleness of our sin and the fact that Jesus had to die to atone for every last one of them. See what? See what? See that the tomb is empty and Jesus isn't there. He is risen as he said. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered the tomb. You see, his empty tomb is one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection. See what? See that the empty tomb reminds us that every believer shall rise someday. You see, death isn't the end for those who personally know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Christians believe that when we die, to be absent from the body is, is immediately to be present with the Lord. Our bodies go into the grave, our bodies go into the urn, but our soul and spirit immediately goes into the presence of heaven. 
And when Jesus comes back in the second coming, we understand that our bodies will rise from the grave in whatever state they're in and be made something new without the capacity to sin, without sickness, without pain, and be joined to our soul and spirit and we'll have a new resurrection body. And here's what the Bible says about that in Corinthians. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept because we can point to the resurrection, the fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave. We understand that we will have a resurrection someday. And then it says this, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, not this Adam, the other Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now the fourth command the angel gave to the women in confronting the resurrection was to go, to go. Notice what it says. It says, come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly, go quickly. Now, as we look at the ladies near the tomb on Easter morning, it's a reminder that there is a work that remains to be done and God intends for believers to do it. Now, this is how Jesus put it as his last words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, God doesn't intend for us that are saved to sit on the sidelines. God intends for us that have been saved, that have received Jesus Christ as the way of salvation to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to the world, and we are to go. And then one last thing we see in the angel's command to these women as they confronted the resurrection. We see the angel says to tell. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell. Tell. The ladies had come to the tomb early Easter morning. They have now seen, they have now seen that it's empty. They know that Jesus is raised from the dead, and they now have the opportunity to obey the angel's message by going into the world and telling everybody what they know. Now, we too have the same opportunity as believers to say he is not here. He is risen, as he said. You see, this is the greatest news that can ever be told, but let me say it this way, it must be told. If we do not tell it by our actions, there can only be two reasons why. We, we don't believe, there's unbelief, or secondly, we do not understand what a great and powerful and incredible message it was. Why is this the greatest message ever? It's great because it proves that God is who he is and is, does what he does. It proves that the God of the Old Testament is the true God, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior, that his death has been accepted by the Father as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that those that believe on Jesus as their Savior are made righteous in the eyes of God, that there is power and victory over sin to all that belong to Jesus, and that those who are joined to Jesus by faith will someday be raised to new life in heaven. So how will we confront the truth of the resurrection this morning? These ladies who came to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday were encouraged to not fear. To not fear. I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear. 
You don't have to fear. In fact, in Proverbs, it says, the fear of, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Not only did the angel tell them not to fear, the angel told the ladies to come. Have you come to God by faith, receiving his son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior? Christian, have you remembered that God came to encumber your soul? God in the flesh came to give you rest. Have you given your burden to him? Have you laid it at his feet? Have you been careful for nothing, knowing that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you can let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Have you seen have you seen the empty tomb, the reality that Jesus was and is who he said he was? Have you personally seen that uh, you uh, do not have to uh, uh, fear and understand that this world is not your home and God, if you're saved, gives you a hope that transcends every problem that you face in this world? Have you seen? Have you gone? Have you gone? Have you understood that God has not saved you to sit on the sidelines, but to go to the world and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, showing his love to others? And have you told, have you told that Jesus is risen? You see, as the ladies here in Matthew 28 were on their way to tell the disciples, the Bible says that they had great joy in following God's plan. Notice what it says in verse 8. And they departed quickly for the, from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. They weren't afraid in the sense of they were cowering, not knowing what to do. They were, they were excited. I get to tell people about Jesus. I get to tell people that, about Jesus. I get to tell people that he's risen. I get to tell people he's not there. I get to tell people he's alive. They were excited. And notice what verse 9 says, And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held them by the feet and worshipped him. You see, every time we understand we don't have to fear, every time we come, every time we go and tell, every time we do these things, we're giving deference to God and we're literally understanding that God is able to take care of all of our problems and all of our needs and we're literally showing him worship. And here, what better time to worship Jesus on Sunday morning, the, the day we commemorate the empty tomb, what better time to worship Jesus than on Easter Sunday? You see, as these ladies received this news, as Jesus met them on the way, they were able to fall down and worship him. And let's just take a moment to worship Jesus here this Easter Sunday morning. As I pray this morning, let's thank God for the gift of the resurrection this morning.